If you or a loved one has been diagnosed with an acute obsession of true crime, caught discussing tragic events with unwilling participants, or kept awake at night by the paranormal or just plain absurd, you've found the right place. All others, beware of catching this dangerous bug as we begin to talk about the facts. Hello, yet again. This is our second week into spooky season, and this is Let's Talk About the Facts. For those of us who still don't know us yet, which is probably many, because, you know, this is a small-time organization of me, uh, we are a podcast about cold cases, bizarre phenomena, and the wildest stories I felt like researching. So today, I decided to research a great one that has been not only an inspiration, but also a multi-level mystery, an MLM, if you will. We are well into the screaming 20s and monster mashing right into the spooky season, so let's get on with it. With me today is Nate Ruger, good friend of mine. Tell us about yourself, Nate. Uh, hello, hi. Uh, I am a sometime uh, podcast uh, participant, and uh, I'm a uh, writer-director, of uh, spooky short films and hopefully uh, spooky movies in the near future. Yeah, I got scared of one of those spooky short films, a.k.a. I almost cried my pants. <laughs> As was intended. Thank you. And you can see that short spooky film on, what is it, Shutter? Uh, oh, no, it's on uh, it's on YouTube right now, on the Alter channel. It's on YouTube. I don't know what I'm talking about half the time. Anyway, so I will link that when we post this episode. Please watch it. It's fucking great. Like, no joke. So, you know, me, I'm your host, Elizabeth Fury, and I need no introduction. And that's because you'll be listening to me talk for a while. <laughs> and if you've been with us since episode one, you've listened to me talk probably more than any geometry teacher you've ever had. <laughs> Just going to toss that out there. Um, so, Nate, let me ask you, okay. what do you think the film Barton Fink and the show American Story Horror... Wait... American Horror Story. Story American Horror. <laughs> horror American horror Story. Horror Story American. Have in common. Both have certain letters. No. Uh, um, I was like, well, it's certainly not that I pronounced them correctly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I am imagining, and uh, there may be a clue here from the title of this episode, that they might involve the same location. They both have hotel settings. That's yes. totally creepy. Yes. So what's creepier than a haunted hotel? A lot of things. But a hotel is fucking creepy. So yes. this episode, my friends and frienditos, we are back in Tinseltown. Our home. Because Nate oh. lives here too. So speaking of my home, I got to tell you, my building is undergoing the loudest retrofit in the history of my life, which... This is like the only retrofit I've been through, so not a lie, but oh my god, do I understand the Grinch now? Because <laughs> like, the whole noise, noise, noise situation, like if I were the Grinch undergoing this retrofit, and I could stop the noise by whacking a few who's, I'd consider it. I am now, especially with your adorable cute dog, who kind of resembles the Grinch's dog in the best possible oh way. Gosh. That totally makes sense. I'm just imagining you turning around to your dog and saying like, and the noise and the clinking and the clinking and the clunking. 
Well, she would just look at me and be like, what are you talking about? Because she's deaf. Yeah. She just yeah. feels the vibrations. Like, because nothing quite hits, like, someone hammering so hard. And you're in the bathroom, and you feel the hammering in the floor. But you're on the third floor. Ugh. Like, I feel bad for my downstairs neighbor, Lisa. Shout out to Lisa. Hi. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what ghosts are you trying to shake loose down there? So stay tuned. More on that later. Yay. We'll let you know. So far, so good here, but things might get spooky. It better. <laughs> Back to this hotel. So we're in Los Angeles, and we're going to start out in 1927. Ooh, that's we're in the 20s. F- is this the farthest? I don't know if this is back we go. I should have looked. I'm going to ignore my own fall- like fault there and just uh, keep on prepping. So this is the stay on Main, generally known as the Hotel Cecil and also known as the Cecil Hotel. So I'm going to name this episode the Cecil Hotel. Brilliant. Yes, we did it. (laughs) So, as we always do, we're going to give you context. And as for context, I decided the year of 1927 because it was a fabulous year. A lot of people were born. But most importantly, in my unprofessional opinion and the importance of birth, was that of Eartha Kitt. Nice. Yes. And we need nothing else but this quote. I am learning all the time. The tombstone will be my diploma. What a fucking legend. I cannot agree more. So if you don't know Eartha Kitt, this is the time where I remind you that Google is free. Yep. And you'll realize you do know her, just not by name. And, you know, this is the best time to just get all up in her work. Just stay there for a while. Learn, live, love. So, but also multitask. Continue listening to this episode of this podcast while Googling her again. Yes. And then, you know, watch her movies, enjoy her Batwoman. No, she wasn't Batwoman. She was Catwoman. Perfect Catwoman. Yeah. I don't know my letters. We all know this. Oh, she would have been a good Batwoman. Oh my God. Yes. Why wasn't she? She could have played everybody. True. True. She was like Meryl Streep before Meryl Streep. So, really, Meryl Streep. She, Meryl Streep is really just Eartha Kitt. Yeah. Or Meryl Streep wishes she was Eartha Kitt. Oh, she probably does. Also, guess what? 1927 is the year. The Academy of Motion Pictures and Sciences is formed, as we know, as the Academy. That was a terrible sentence I wrote. And thus, the Oscars. Also, Lindbergh did his thing, flew over the ocean, whatever. But, you know... That's great. Lindbergh sucked. He did lose a baby. Very sad for the baby. Yeah. yeah. Lindbergh sucked. Moving on. Yeah. Great. Uh, Nazi bastard. Yeah. Nazi bastard. I love how, like, some of the, the things are like, he's not a Nazi. He was just pro-German and an anti-Semite. And I'm like, so a Nazi. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I. Yeah. why are you splitting hairs there? Yeah. That's mm, Nazi. So, moving on. Columbia Phonographic Broadcasting System, later to be known as CBS is formed and goes on air with 47 radio stations. Nice. And then later, they would make 15 seasons of Criminal Minds, but not stream <laughs> seasons 13 and 14 in a pandemic. So I am just <laughs> sitting here waiting to find out what happened. The season 15 is sitting, like, right there. But I have to do things in order. And then Showboat opens on Broadway mm. based off of... Edna Ferber's novel, and it becomes the first great American musical. Nice. It's what we contributed to theater. If anyone didn't know that, we came up with musicals. Delightful. 
I don't think musicals cover up a lot of things, but it it's great. Like happy about that. So currently, let's talk about the current state of the Cecil Hotel. I'm gonna go backwards because it sounds fun. So they rebranded to Stay on Main. Hmm. Stupid. Uh, formerly Cecil Hotel, Hotel Cecil, and informally the Cecil. I like that one. Oh, are you staying at the Cecil? Oh yeah. How, how about you? Where's perfect? Wonderful. What if, like, a whole group of people knew it by different names and it's like, where are you stay staying? Oh, the stay on Main. Oh, I'm staying at the Cecil. And they're like, oh, my God, we're all staying at the same place because no one knows what's going on. That would be really funny. They all met the lobby and, like... Also, just, like, the, the name Stay on Main just is so awful. Honestly? It's like, where are you staying? The Stay on Main. So you're staying on Main. No, stay on Main. It's like a, a bad uh, who's on first. Skin. Oh, it does. It, honestly, it sounds like an off-brand like makeup wipe to me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna call it out. Dumb name, but it's a budget hotel in downtown Los Angeles. It's located at 640 South Main Street, and it opened in 1927. It has 700 guest rooms, allegedly. Trust me. The hotel has a checkered history. But as of 2017, it's being renovated and redeveloped into a mix of hotel rooms and residential units. Because who wouldn't want to live in a spooktacular, spookular place? But how did it become this place? Where did it all start? I know you're wondering. I'm wondering. <laughs> the Cecil was built and opened somewhere between 1924 and 1927, and literally every article I read could not decide on it. So huh. I had enough, and I picked 1927, and that's what we're going with. I am not listening to country living, because that's the opposite of what Los Angeles living <laughs> is like. They were like, oh, we're going to pick all these other years, and I was like, no, no, XOXO, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> The Los Angeles City Council voted to approve the landmark stat status, the landmark status for the building in the historic core. So, land developer, nope, just developer, I don't know about the land part, of Simon Barron Development, his name is Matthew Barron, wonder if they're related, generational wealth, mm -hmm. um, is converting the Cecil into a boutique hotel. Hmm and micro-unit apartment complex applied for the designation. He decided to keep the grand entrance and such, but have some living and stuff. So, like, right now, it's closed. But oh, it's, that sucks. Well, it's estimated to be done around 2021. Everything is estimated to be done around this yeah, point. Yeah, at this point, I don't believe anybody. <laughs> it's a $100 million investment, so from Curb Dole, which honestly, why do I get so much reliable information from this website? All of my fourth episode came from that website, I swear. Though SBD holds a 99-year ground lease on the property, the 301 micro units will be designed and run by a New York-based company called Ollie and billed as a micro-housing and co-living specialist, says a release from Ollie. This project makes the Cecil Project the largest co-living community in the West Coast. The small units, 150 to 325 square feet, will have space-saving features like beds that fold into sofas. Residents will have access to a lot of activities, like group meals on the top or the rooftop and guest lecturers in 30,000 square feet 
of shared amenities, including a rooftop pool, a gym that's planned post-renovation. These are marketing words for saying hostel. No, they're trying to say, go back to college. <laughs> go live in a cinder block like room. Oh, I God. hate everything about this. Yeah. All these micro apartments come fully furnished include free Wi-Fi. That's not a deal. No. I'm sorry, you saved me 45 bucks a month? Dude, I'd rather have a bigger place. Cable, nobody uses that. Shared amenities immediately. What? So we're sharing potties now? Um, sometimes I just gotta do my business by myself. And housekeeping services. Not gonna lie, that part was tempting. Yeah. They will have their own private restrooms, which is which not all rooms have currently. Ooh. Yeah. While the Could you imagine having to share a shower and you can't take a shower because there's a ghost in it? That must be so annoying. Dude. Sorry, I may be jumping ahead there, but just like this already sounds like an annoying place, but to be haunted on top of it is just not cool. I mean, it depends on like how helpful the ghost is. Like, do true, they remind true. me to like pay my phone bill? Yeah. What if the ghost was like just chilling? That's true. Because I run hot and I always like those cold spots might be nice. Yeah, um, air conditioning in Los Angeles is so hard to come by. I'm just saying, it uh, it yeah. says nothing about air conditioning. Well, there you go. See, um, I'm it, about to piss you off even more. Oh, you ready? No. So while the units won't have a kitchen, and Ollie Rep says he's hoping they'll be able to add food prep area in some form. Rents estimated to be less than fifteen hundred dollars. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, because the location is right next to something amazing. No. It's literally oh. not. Because you know what it's literally right next to? What? Skid Row. Great. Just great. Great, fantastic. These are like the worst boxes in Los Angeles as someone who has lived in many terrible boxes. Yeah, they're going to try to gentrify it. How? And then be across the road from Skid Row. And I'm like, unless you're doing this to help the homeless people living on Skid Row. At those prices, they're not. No, they're not. A, where are they parking? Because you know... It's yeah. downtown. It's down, there's nowhere to park there, period. Oh my god. You, you'd have better chance parking in Lake Pluto. <laughs> and B, that's a shoebox. Yeah. That's clearly. not even a shoebox. A hundred and something square feet, guys? Like, think about that. So we are actually Angelinos. Yeah, yeah. What freeway we're taking to get there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus. But we both live in the valley because downtown is too much. It's, too, it's nice to visit. It's nice to visit. I wonder how many Angelinos are going to come after me for this, but yeah. if you live in downtown, Bless I you. think that you have a superpower that I don't have. <laughs> That's it. You, Getting around the city on public transportation. You have a superpower. No, I mean, public transportation needs to take it. Like, but like actually being able to get to the places you want to and need to get on yes, public transportation. Our public transportation is stupid. Yes. Just like everything else in this stupid city. <laughs> Our mayor is stupid. Everything is stupid. Speaking yep. of mayor, I wrote a whole thing about him in here. Um, we're going to have a good time. Woo! So, but anyway, Ooh. I literally wrote, but anyway, in all caps. <laughs> Would I like to live in a former hotel slash half hotel still haunted? I think it depends on the rent. Mm. And if it's a great deal in a good space, which we just discussed it wasn't. And uh, as someone who's a fan of this podcast, just like, Come and tell the previous episode that I listened to with Addison uh, about the Shelley house. Like, you had a lovely conversation about, like, would I move into this house if it were cheap enough? I would not move into this hotel because it's not cheap enough. It's just like, well, no. the rent is X. Oh, that's nice, but it's haunted. Oh, I'll be 
think about it. The rent is fifteen hundred for a box, and it's haunted. That's not a deal. I know. Unless unless it's a chill ghost, unless it is quite literally a chill ghost. I mean, I can work with an ethereal roommate. Like true. But I haven't even told you about the ghost yet. I, I'm I am excited. Yeah, and that was plural ghosts. Ooh. That was really hard to say and make it clear, so I just had to emphasis. Emphasis! Shout out to anyone who gets that joke. Uh, (laughs) So, what could play into the origins of its seediness? But also, could it have anything to do with things unreported? Who's to say? So I named this section Histoire. Histoire. Because I wanted to mispronounce it, and then you pronounced it correctly, and now I feel stupid. No, I, I said it as French as it possible. Yeah, well, it was better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, I never feel stupid. Uh, <laughs> built in 1924 by William Banks Henner. I know, I wish I had a triple name. Well, I do, but it's not quite as cool. Uh, I got lost on the page. Wow, hello. I was just thinking William about, Biggs Hannah. William Biggs Hannah. He sounds like a water chestnut. To be <laughs> <laughs> to be a destination hotel for business elite and travelers. He spent one million dollars on the seven hundred room. Is that nineteen twenty seven? Oh, don't worry, it convert. Oh, okay. Uh, it's Beaux Art style hotel, complete nice. with a marble lobby, stained glass windows. Palm trees and an opulent staircase. How LA. Dude, look it up. It's actually quite gorgeous. Adjusted for inflation. That would have been over $15 million today. That is one fancy hotel. Indeed. Like the Krusty Towers or something. Have a Squidward at the counter and serving Krabby Patties. <laughs> I'm just saying I wanted to stay at the Krusty Towers. I love SpongeBob guys. <laughs> This investment would turn into a disaster for Hanner, however, because in two years after opening, which was 1927, the Great Depression would hit the United yeah. States, and Los Angeles was certainly not immune, not mm-hmm. in the slightest. Mm-mm. The area around the Cecil was beginning to be known as Skid Row. So Skid Row is not exclusive to Los Angeles alone. The term has an origin, derived from a logging situation. Loggers would transport their logs to a nearby river by sliding them down roads made of grease skids. Using it in the context of a city, it specifically refers to the poor, the homeless, or any others either considered disreputable or forgotten by society. Important to know, many major cities have skid rows, but we have an official, I would say, district called Skid Row. Um, So Skid Row, that district is in downtown Los Angeles. It's also known as Central City East. We have never called it that. No. That that sounds fake, but okay. As of 2019, pre-pandemic, please remember, this is when I'm starting to uh, get into some Garcetti roasting. Please. Chestnut over an open fire. Uh, The population of the district was 4,757. Where they pulled that fucking number, I don't know. So Skid Row contains one of the largest stable populations, stable? about 4,200 to 8,000 of homeless individuals in the United States and has been known for its condensed homeless population since the 1930s. Its long history of police raids 
targeted city initiatives, and homelessness advocacy makes it one of the most notable districts in Los Angeles. I don't know about that, but okay. Um, yeah. yeah. The police like to beat up on them for um, yeah. fake things. We don't like, we don't like them. Um, so it covers 50 city blocks, so that's about 2.71 square miles, immediately east of downtown Los Angeles. So Skid Row is bordered by 3rd Street to the north, 7th Street to the south, Alameda Street to the east, and Main Street to the west. Mm. So unfortunately in Los Angeles, it is a district that is in need of actual help, yeah. not the fake rich people type of help where they like to introduce as initiatives because they have no idea what it's like to be in need and what help actually is for someone, because it's not a photo op, and it's not something to make yourself feel better. It's what they actually can use and need. And as we have a horrifying homeless epidemic that is growing daily, thanks to the mishandling of the pandemic and job loss, yeah. who knows where we'll be in six months. Yeah. Our current mayor, Eric Garcetti, has found it to be reasonable to rip people from their current homes and force them into the street, lose everything, and have to go into homeless encampments that has Karen, Sharon, Debbie, Ellen, and literally every white woman you can think of calling the police on so there's no such thing as a good night's sleep ever again for families, thanks to greedy landlords like himself, who couldn't pay rent because millions have lost their jobs and a $1,200 stimulus check didn't cover a single month of rent here in L.A. Vote for rent control, folks. It's on the uh, November ballot. Rent control. So it makes you think, right? It's yeah. funny how the Great Depression and this Great Oppression are lining up a bit. Screaming yeah. 20s, my dudes. Ooh. So I soapboxed. But you know, this is our city and yep. our home. Yes. And this is relevant to where the Cecil's history went. So True, true. Also, we have to be honest with each other here. That in entirely. Yeah. I mean, these are the facts. These are the facts. Yeah. We've got to talk about it. Yeah. We have to talk about when Eric Garcetti is going to wake the fuck up and get out of here. Any day. Any day, any day, guy. Hey, it would be a heroic move. Yeah. A beautiful photo op for you just to leave. <clears throat> Please leave. Okay. Thank you for listening. The initial deaths... Deaths. Oh, my God. The initial deaths at the Cecil make absolute sense to me, as it was the Great Depression. Uh, uh, I heard an S at the end of death. Yes. Initial, as in, like, there were several. Oh, yeah. There's a lot. We're about to roll through. Okay. All right. This Get is ready. Gonna, yeah. Starlight Express, dude. Mm. And we know how many people were going through in same times because we know how it feels now. Uh, <laughs> there is no shame in what happened to these people, and there were no services to help anyone who was handling too much mentally. So there were a lot of people who took their own lives. Because yeah. we don't say committed suicide. It's not a crime. No. It's not a crime. You're not Catholic. If you are Catholic, that's different. But as a country, we are not Catholic. We have a separation of church and state written to the Constitution. Do not make me quote constitutional things to you again. I've done it. I'll do it again. <laughs> Write in if you have a problem with it. But we as a nation are not Catholic. They took their own lives. So we are going to roll through. Some deaths. And then there are a couple, I think some people might know which one I'm going to really stop on. I'm going to hit one, and then I'm going to go back to it. And we're going to go back to all of the details, because it's the spookiest after I talk about the serial killers. Wait, you said deaths and serial killers. I did. Goodness. Yeah, this place has really had it coming. William 
Binks Henry, what did you do? He didn't do anything. He just had bad timing. I really think he did. He was like going to build this boring-ass hotel for just the rich folks. And, and serial killers. Well, no, I think the poor people were like, guess what? It's ours. Woo! And then nobody wanted to handle it from there. You know, hey. So the first recorded death at the Cecil Hotel was November 19th, 1931. Makes sense. Like, yeah. You know, makes sense. Manhattan Beach resident W.K. Norton, he was 46 years old. He had ingested poison capsules Oof. and found in his room. He had checked into the Cecil a week prior under the name James Willies or Willis. Not sure. The second I in Willis was a Y. He said he was from Chicago. Mm-hmm. So Norton's death appears to be the earliest that was earliest known suicide at the hotel. So in September of 1932, a maid unfortunately found Benjamin Dodich or Dodic dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the Oof. head. He was 25. He didn't leave a note. So, in late July of 1934, former Army Medical Corps leader, oh, sorry, former Medical Corps Sergeant, Army Medical Corps Sergeant, did I do that right? Yes, I did. Okay. Army Medical Corps Sergeant, Louis D. Borden, I don't know why that was so hard to read, was found dead in his room. He had slashed his throat with a razor. He left several notes, one of which cited poor health as the reason. Oh, man. Um, he was 53. Rough time. Mm-hmm. So in March of 1937, Grace E. Magro fell from a ninth-story window. Yeah. Her fall was broken by telephone wires, which oh. were wrapped around her, and she later died at the now-demolished Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. Oh. They were unable to determine if her death was the result of the accident or if it was totally suicide. And then in 1938, there was a United States Marine Corps fireman his name was Roy Thompson, 35. He jumped from the top floor and was found on the skylight of a neighboring building. Oh my gosh. He had stayed at the Cecil for several weeks. And in 1939, Navy officer Erwin C. Neblet, 39, was found in his room after adjusting poison. 1940, a teacher, Dorothy, Sh- I want to say Seiger, but it could be Skyger, um, S-C-E-I-G-E-R, ingested poison as well. She was staying at the Cecil, and it was reported to the LA Times to be near death, but they never reported um, after she was taken to the hospital mm. what her condition was. So we don't know if she died from ingesting yeah. poison or if she made it. There was no report after that. Obviously, I think, like, you know, if it was 1940, safe to say. Yeah, yeah. We got an answer. So those are the ones that I would consider, like, could be a result of the Great Depression. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely a factor. Yeah, especially we don't know these people's backgrounds or anything, and you don't want to pry, of course. Yeah, definitely makes me want to like. I part of me wonder. This is just like thinking out loud. Of, uh, wondering if there like has been a study into like what was what were the suicide rates? Because I, I can imagine definitely like in thing in American culture, this was something that wasn't talked about. It was just like, yeah, that's sad, and people just move on and. Yeah. I'm wondering if, like, because, you know, millions of Americans were without jobs and so much of American culture, especially at that time, no even food. today, it's just, like, dignity is, like, almost immediately uh, attributable to, to work and income. Absolutely. And so I could just imagine folks just going, what's the point? And mm-hmm. it's terrible. 
and men especially because women yeah. weren't allowed to socially leave the house and we were just coming out of war well i think we would join a war right yeah we with the with the 40s there was the uh, a strong the strong female workforce but yeah. yeah we hadn't started the war yet but well started the war jesus christ we hadn't entered the war yet yeah. i definitely agree i feel like if there's a study i didn't look it up but that would be something very interesting to look into yeah. of what are the relevant mental illness um, mm-hmm. and death rates that to the, the Great Depression. That came, came to mind. That like, I, I definitely think like if, if we're drawing parallels to present day to the Great Depression in Los Angeles uh, in this time, I've definitely noticed, um, and, and there, I know there are studies out there, I have not looked at them, I have not read them, that uh, I know a lot of what, what anecdotal evidence of like talking to friends there are a lot of other people who go oh now is the time for me to go to therapy because like the hardship the politics like everything is so much harder to go through today that people are thinking oh these things that felt like mildly little bits of depression mildly little bits of anxiety people are thinking oh it's it's suddenly a lot higher now i think i need professional help Mm -hmm. and i can only imagine what that's like in the great depression which is worse than what we're going through right now in terms of economics so yeah. Oi. And, and they didn't have words for things like we do now. Yeah, and, melancholia. Yeah. And definitely, I don't think, like, people looked at others who had these sort of mental illnesses as, it was, like, seen as weakness. It was mm-hmm. seen as something to be ashamed of. Yeah. Where right now, we're all arm in arm. We can get through this together. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. So, absolutely. it I can't imagine. Yeah. So those deaths, all which were uh, suicide, essentially, I believe that seven. Yeah. 1931 to 1940, that's seven deaths. That's quite a lot, I have Practically to say. Practically once a year, yeah. Yeah. It's tragic. Very. The Cecil already has a reputation. Yeah. So our next one, I have this one highlighted because it's absolutely wild, and I feel like it's a great, I say great in the worst possible way, indicator of what society was like at the time. So this is 1944, mm-hmm. and what happened. This is what life was like for women, I think, especially mm-hmm. young women. So we had Dorothy Jean Purcell. She was 19 years old. She was sharing a room at the Cecil with her boyfriend, a shoe salesman named Ben Levine, who was 38. So twice her age. Yeah. Purcell, who apparently had been unaware that she was pregnant, went into labor. Oh my goodness. Yes. She later testified that she didn't want to disrupt the sleeping Levine, (sighs) which, I'm sorry, that indicates an abusive relationship to me. Yeah. I'm giving birth to most likely your child, but I can't be bothered to wake you up. Yeah. No, not at all. So she goes into the bathroom where she gave birth to a baby boy. And so... We all have seen television. Mm-hmm. We know that birth is not quiet. I feel for her. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh my god. So she thinks that the baby's dead. Oh my god. So she threw him out the window. Oh my gosh! And he landed on the roof of an adjacent building. Oh. So Purcell was charged with murder. Mm. And three psychiatrists, who were then known as alienists, mm-hmm. testified that she was mentally confused at the time of the incident. Yes, she was. Entirely. I she was being severely abused. I, I couldn't imagine being the kind of human being who hears a woman in the bathroom next door giving birth, which involves screaming in pain and no, thinking... I'm just going to roll over and go back to sleep. 
I don't know how you can go back to sleep. I don't know, like, how you didn't notice this woman was pregnant. Or, like, how do you not just, like, at the very least, knock on the door, Hi, how you doing, bud? Need, need some water or something? Yeah. Need to squeeze my hand? Neither of them knew she was pregnant. What? Where was the baby? Like, I, I know that there there was... I remember a story, and I, I totally forget if it was a... Um, if it was, like, an urban legend or something. I remember growing up of hearing a woman who did not realize she was pregnant and giving birth in, like, a Walmart bathroom or something like that. Oh, yeah, that. I that one. Yeah. But, like, so I can I can kind of imagine someone being backward enough to not know that. But to give birth and have someone be in the other room and just ignore it. And also I can imagine, like, let's say you, for some reason, miss all that. And then you miss the crying of someone thinking they just gave birth to a dead child. And then threw it up one day. Yeah, like that. Ah, oh, God. So, Worst boyfriend ever. ever. Honestly, he should have been gone, too. Right. Where's his charge? Mm-hmm. Um, so in January of 1945, she was found not guilty by reason of insanity. So kind of happy for her. Yeah. I, yes. Like, I hope she got help. Please. At yeah. 19 years old. Oh, my gosh. And, like, that's the culture of the 40s. This young girl, she thought the reasonable thing to do was to throw the baby out the window. Like, I get that there was the defenestration of Frog, and that's a really <laughs> funny story. Yes, it is. And that is a deep cut. Goodness. You went back to, like, the 1300s for I that did. one? I did. Well, I'm also Czech, so I mean, check it there out. There you go. And, and <laughs> but that's the only there. time... I've ever seen an appropriate time to throw someone out the window. Inappropriate, yes. Yeah, it wasn't very appropriate. I was like, guys, if you don't know about the defenestration of Prague, please, please, please look it up. One of perhaps my greatest moments in traveling abroad was going to Prague and specifically being able to go to the window that was the centerpiece of the defenestration of Prague. And went, oh, this is where they were thrown out the window and started the all of this craziness throughout all of Europe. Well, there was two. There was There's, two. two. They're, they're, but they were both thrown out that the window. The same window? Oh yes. my god, I didn't yeah. know that. I need yeah. to go. We gotta go see that again. Yeah, it's, uh, oh gosh, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the building, but it's the famous castle. Yeah. 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 Oh my god, I, want, I just want a picture of me in that window, just like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. About to get thrown out. What's up? Peace. How to start a world war, XOXO. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, November... Of 1947, three years after that poor young girl threw her baby out the window. Robert Smith, 35, jumped out of a seven-story window. How, how many stories is this building again? I'm just noticing how many people are It's leaving. pretty tall. Like, I want to say it's at least 12. Okay. Like, when you see it, it's way taller than everything else around it. Okay, yeah. Like, it's an earthquake hazard. But we, we go there anyway. <laughs> on October 22nd of 1954, San Francisco stationary firm employee Helen Gurney, she was 55, jumped from the window of her seven-story room and landed on top of the Cecil's marquee. One week prior, she had registered at the hotel under the name Margaret Brown. Hmm. So that's two people yeah. on the seventh story. Just going to put that there, guys. Mm-hmm. Putting it there. I don't know if I'm going to do anything with it, but I'm putting it there. So on February 11th, 1962. So like we're spacing out now. Julia Francis Moore jumped from the window of her eighth floor room and landed on a second story interior light bulb. She didn't leave a note. And among her possessions were a bus ticket from St. Louis, 59 cents and change, and an Illinois bank book 
showing a balance of $1,800. Hmm. I have a lot of questions about that one. Yeah. Well, and by questions, I mean like wild guesses. Oh, I'd love to hear. I definitely think she was thrown out the window. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Like someone like took that 1800 bucks and went to St. Louis? Well, no, because it was still in the, still in the room. Hmm. Like, she, that doesn't seem like anybody yeah. who was like ready to leap to their death at the Cecil. Like, she had a plan. She was going to St. Louis. She had oh. some dollars. More dollars than I have. Yeah, yeah. Like, even right now. Like, I wonder what the the value is. We, we don't know much. Of, I don't know much about her from, from that, but I'm wondering if uh, she's a Bluth family kind of person who's like, how much does banana cost? $1,800? <laughs> and that's like, I only have enough money for one banana. I, I, and this is too much for this world. I don't know, because $1,800, I feel like... In, in 1950s. In 2020, money, that's got to be at least like 20 grand. Yeah. Watch me be way off. Yeah. I'm wondering at this point if, like, we're getting shining vibes from this place. That's what I'm thinking. And, like, I, I definitely imagine that, like, throughout this period, is, there's been a lot of financial hardship. And, uh, 62? And, no, up to 62. But, like, it's the, the point where we had so many suicides going on at the same time. Yeah. You can totally imagine financial hardship, uh, cultural hardship, and... And, uh, and and definitely perhaps some level of struggling with depression or uh, that is a mix of all these things. But I'm wondering if like some of these are like there's like an X factor of well, so many other people have killed themselves here, and it just sits in the back of your mind and go, well, this is a nice place to die, but also it's a nice place to murder someone. No, the serial killers. That's right. I'm just throwing it out there. Oh man, that was a bad joke. Uh, oh. <laughs> I hate myself. Um, that like, if so many people have committed suicide at this hotel and they needed to murder somebody, you know, a little push push out the window and yeah, yeah, yeah. People are gonna be like, well, this happens. Here. Oh, um, I'm jumping ahead. Um, uh, is the first serial killer in the '60s? I'm not telling you. Okay, well, what if Margaret Brown was the first suspect? There, there, I went for Suspect it. or first victim? First victim, that's what I meant. Ooh, I'll let you make that decision. Because you you were guessing that she... Uh, got moited. Got moited, and, uh, and that she didn't have a reason from that circumstantial evidence to take her own life. So someone caught her. I'm going to let you get... I'm going to okay, let... Okay, yeah. all right, all right, all right. Put a pin in that. Put a big old pin, though. All right. Because this next one's wild. Listen. Because remember, everything that we've talked about has been suicide yes. or that poor young lady. Yes. So on October 12th, 1962, same year as Julia. Oh, okay. Colleen Otten, 27. Mm-hmm. She jumped from the window of her ninth floor room after an argument with her estranged husband, Dewey. Dewey can eat shit. Yeah, please. He had left the room prior to Otten's suicide. Otten landed on a pedestrian. Oof. George Giannini, 65, killing them both instantly. Oof. There were no witnesses, and police initially thought Otten and Giannini had committed suicide together. I hate that I phrased that. (sighs) Had taken their lives together. Yeah. But it was soon determined that Giannini had his hands in his pockets at the time of his death. And he was still wearing his shoes. Had he jumped, his shoes would have likely fallen off in the fall. 
Hmm. or upon impact, and his hands would not have been in his pockets. I agree on the pockets part, the shoes not so much. The shoes I hear um, is, de- is, I don't know about falling from a great height, but I have heard from folks who uh, work with car accidents that that happens a lot. First thing that happens is your shoes pop off. No way. Yeah. And that, like, people who get really shocked do this weird thing, they get hit car and they just go looking for their shoes and keep walking. Like, the only reason you're standing is because of the shock and the adrenaline. You need to sit down and wait for an ambulance or something. Oh my god, that's um, so cool. I did not know that. Yeah, by cool, yeah. I mean horrible. And I... Right. And also, like, how eerie is this that this, this poor woman jumped and there are no witnesses and something about the jump and the time and no one saying, look out, or whatever, does not know that there is a person about to land on him. Well, yeah, the timing. Yeah, that's so strange. He doesn't so even strange. feel, like, you know how you feel, like, when someone's looking at you? Yeah, yeah, or, or like, a vibration or something, or, like... She didn't even look down. She just immediately must have... Jumped, and he walked right under where she was going to land. That's creepy and weird. I mean, has there ever been another recorded instance of that happening? I don't know. I doubt it. Wild. Yes. So I feel like she moited him? Not, not on purpose? I don't know. That's manslaughter. So she committed. You think she she dove at him? Well, she committed manslaughter on accident. Yes. But also took her own life. Yeah. So technically, he died. Yeah. She took her own life mm-hmm. and someone else's. Yeah. Wild. Crazy. Okay, so June fourth, but that was the same year as Julia. Ugh. You know, it'd be really wild if Giannini. I know this is not possible. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't say not possible, but right. very unlikely. What if he murdered Julia and a ghost got him back? Mm. I'm just throwing it out there. It's totally not possible, but I'm being silly now. Stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened. Have they? Like this whole, this thing? <laughs> that That's a stranger thing. They're, they're all strange. Yeah. This has all been strange so far. Well, this one's strange. Er? Okay. Stranger Burp. Stranger Burp. <laughs> June 4th, 1964. So there was this hotel worker. Her name was Pigeon Goldie Osgood. She was the pigeon lady of Pershing Square. Oh, I love her already. Everybody loved her. She was a retired telephone operator, and she was found dead in her room. She no. Had, yes, she had been sexually assaulted. Oh, my God. Stabbed, beaten, and her room was ransacked. I know. Who would do that? She was well-known around the area, and she earned the nickname because she fed birds near Pershing Square. So near her body was a Dodgers cap that she always wore and a paper bag full of birdseed. I hate it. I hate it. So hours after her murder, Jacques B. Ellinger, 29, was seen walking through Pershing Square in bloodstained clothes. And if I know law and order, he did. Or at least he gets arrested first. He does get arrested. And he was charged, mm. but then cleared of the crime. That's that's very law and order. He didn't do it. Someone else. We need we need suspect number two. Well, it remains unsolved. What? Come on! I hope Pigeon Lady of Pershing Square haunts the shit out of that place. The shit. Like. And the pigeons. So when we go stay there for our investigation, Ooh. that's who I'm trying to find. I'm yeah. gonna be like, hey, I'm here for you. Tell me who killed you. Uh. So we have a. Very large cooling off period, which is yeah. kind of a lie. Because remember, I didn't tell you when the cereals are. No, I don't know. I have no you idea. You don't. Because you didn't know anything before we started I no, this. I had no idea there was a Cecil Hotel to begin with. 
Which is embarrassing because you live here. Yeah. Just, I mean, I clearly haven't stayed there, and it sounds like for good reasons. I know. That's true. But also, you don't actively like seek these things out like I do. Nope. <laughs> so December 20th, 1975. And you know what they say about the 70s. It, it, if you remember it, you weren't there. I, I don't, don't remember it. I wasn't there. Exactly. But, like, you know, my dad was the first person to tell me that. But <laughs> he definitely was there. Um, that's also the end of the Vietnam War. Yay for that. <laughs> yeah, nobody's now. That's how we all feel about it. Yeah. Um, I feel like 2020 is going to be the opposite. If you weren't emotionally scarred by 2020, you weren't there. Yeah, yeah. Or you're a Republican. Oh, I said that on a podcast. Oh, oh. oh no. <laughs> I'm just going to take the beef while I can. Yeah. Uh, she's hungry. <laughs> the beef, there it is. You know, date with destiny and she ordered the steak. <laughs> okay, so December 20th, 1975. A still unidentified woman, approximately 23 years old, jumped from her 12th story window. Make sure counted. Jeez. Onto the Cecil's second floor roof. She had registered at the hotel on December 16th under the name Allison Lowell and was staying in room 327. I feel like I know an Allison Lowell. If I do, and you're listening, please message me. And, and not haunt her or me, please. Well, I mean, I think she's my age. But, I mean, not, yeah, oh, not yeah. this Allison Lowell. Well, I think that's not her name. Because otherwise, right, right, right. what if her th- name was just Allison Powell and she accidentally like wrote it wrong that they can't read? Could be, could be. And then I'm gonna go with that. So now we're gonna take a real big jump to 1992, September mm. 1st. I, I remember 92. I mean, in theory, I would. I would <laughs> <laughs> in a month and a day, I would be turning two. Oh, no, I'd be I turning know. one. I mean, I feel old. I think I'm older on the inside than you are. It's possible. I mean, I'm basically a golden girl. <laughs> so a man found deceased in the alley behind the Cecil. I did not put a verb in there. Who needs verbs? I love how I critique my own grammar through this. Uh, So the authorities believe that he either fell, jumped, or was pushed from the 15th floor. So it's at least 15th floor. But like, I mean, yeah, so he fell down. But is there like another one here? You know. So at the time of the death, he was five feet nine inches tall, weighed about a buck (laughs) eighty-five. He was wearing blue sweatpants, black sweatshirt over a gray t-shirt. I don't know why, but that feels like a uniform. Wait, I'll re- say this anymore. Um, Blue sweatpants, black sweatshirt over a gray t-shirt. Uh, I, I hate to say that. That, that sounds like a, a pandemic. <laughs> but I feel like everyone I see walking their dog is wearing roughly that nowadays. When it's cold out, which it hasn't been. But. Yeah. I love how we say cold and it's like 72. <laughs> if it's below 70 degrees in Los Angeles, it is cold. That's how it works. They don't know the desert like we do. <laughs> so the LA County Coroner's Office, which, oh my god, I can't believe I just said that that way. I sound like a news reporter. Placed his age around 20 to 32 years old. Very narrow. <laughs> it's just a man. A, a youngish man. And we have no idea who he is. Still, to this day. No one wanted to claim sweatpants. Okay. There's a big one. I'm going to skip it. Go to the okay. two after it. And then, wait, one after. And then we'll talk about the big one. Okay. And then we're going to do the serials, and then we're going to talk about the big one in depth. Okay. Okay. Just so everyone knows. On June 13th, 2015, 
the body of a 28-year-old man was found outside the hotel. Some think that he may have taken his own life from jumping from the hotel, of course. Although, a spokesperson for the county coroner, the LA County Coroner's Office, informed LA Times that the cause of death has not been determined. Mm. And that is all I know about that. Interesting. I know, like five years, right? Someone yeah. make a determination, post on the internet. Sheesh! It appears that at least 16 deaths at the Cecil resulting from non-natural causes as a result of suicide, accident, or moida. This excludes the 1940 case of Dorothy Skyger, who was reported to be in critical condition after ingesting poison at the hotel. There are no further reports as to whether she died as a result. So those are just the deaths, except for February 9th, 2013. Brace yourself. Mm, you okay. may already know the story. We'll, we'll find out, won't we? The naked body of Elisa Lamb, a 21-year-old Canadian student, was found inside one of the water supply tanks on the hotel roof. What? She had gone missing almost three weeks earlier, on January 31st, oh 2013. God. Her decomposing body uh. was discovered by maintenance workers in one of the rooftop water tanks. Uh. After guests complained about low water pressure, and the water tasted funny. Ah! Authorities later ruled Lamb's death as accidental drowning. How? Video surveillance footage taken from inside an elevator shortly before her disappearance showed her acting strangely, pressing multiple elevator buttons, hiding in the corner of the elevator, and waving her arms widely. This is 2013? Yes, it is causing widespread speculation about the cause of death. Don't worry, I'm going to describe it in detail. Okay, okay. That's why I was like, we're going to come back. She was reported to have bipolar disorder, for which she was prescribed various medications. People think it contributes to her death, and they're dumb. Yeah. As well as her strange behavior in the elevator. I hate people who vilify people for having bipolar disorder. Yeah, that's, that's... However, rumors persist that she died as a result of playing the elevator game, a paranormal urban legend that claims to take the player to another dimension. Yeah, I know about that one. That's that's Tell some us. stuff. Um, I, I'm going off the best of my memory, but it is a belief that there is a very strict... If one is a fan of fantasy, uh, it is a belief that, like, um, just a brief tension to help you understand. Uh, if you are going into a fairy realm, you have to stay on the path. If you stray off the path, you are going to encounter strange fake creatures and monsters that will probably take your life. And so there's a very strict number of rules uh, of what you need to follow to just basically, it seems like you're being the annoying kid in the elevator. Uh, pressing buttons that make you go up and down and staying inside the elevator. If you follow them the exact sequence, you will be able to go into a nether realm that is basically like, if you watch Stranger Things, like the upside down version of our world. And the difference between our world and this world is it looks exactly like ours, except it is somehow like a hellish version and there's no one there. There may be some strange entities or presences or feelings, um, but that, uh, and one of the, and this is again off of my memory, I recommend you look up elevator game, uh, creepypasta or what have you, uh, but uh, that it is believed that there's one element, if you do it wrong, um, you're, you're definitely not supposed to talk to anybody who comes into the elevator. And if there's someone who follows you out, you may have accidentally brought something from the other realm to follow you out. 
out. So I can totally imagine someone getting freaked the F out uh, that they did the game wrong and now they're haunted for the rest of their life. Yeah. I love your version of that because I forgot to look it up. And I'm so glad you knew it because I was about to be like, somebody pass me my phone. Um, it, it's, a, it's a creepy one. It's definitely one where I just make... It, it's like a, a, you have a mirror in your bedroom and you're like, I'm just going to turn away from the mirror just in case the accident say Bloody Mary over and over and again. Yeah, well, sleep. you're, you're and, like, um, am I going to do that? Am I going to disappear in my sleep? Yeah, and, and just thinking, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll take the stairs. I don't need to go in the elevator today. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. One time I fell asleep with my arm behind my head, and I woke up and was completely asleep, and I thought someone cut my arm off. Yeah. So I was like, I ran into my brother's room. Like, I was probably like eight, and I was like, Robert, somebody cut my arm off. And he's like, it's right there. Right there. Right there. It's, it's literally, <laughs> look down, and there it is. But I was eight years old, so I mean... My first thing was to run screaming to Robert. Of course. I can't believe my brother has put up with me this long in my life. <laughs> you know, there's so many panic cuts. He's got like, Robert, I think I broke the toilet. Just kidding. It's flushing now. <laughs> and I think he just like opens it up and he's like, your toilet's not haunted. Shut up. <laughs> but what if it is? That's my thing. What if? <laughs> and he'll say something like at the end of a sentence and be like, Oh yeah, have a good night. Don't get eaten by gnomes. Like I used Thanks. To, yeah. Thanks, Robert. I Thank you. To, <laughs> I used to think that gnomes would eat my feet if they weren't covered, like with a blanket. Every kid's got Every, that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's you, like something you have to. But... You have to keep your feet. It's it's like what they tell you in a ride at a at a theme park. Keep your yeah. hands and arms inside the bed at all times. I don't know why a blanket's going to keep me safe, but it's going to keep me safe. It, it's a. It's almost like a. It's a possession by opportunity. There's, yes. a, there's a monster under your bed. Your arm's just dangling there. They have important demon things to do. But there's a hand that might as well grab you and take over your soul or whatever. And we're going to go do fun demon things together. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't seem like fun to me right now. No. no I've got not. fun. Actually, I take it back. 2020 <laughs> has not been good to me. Well, we have the podcast. That's been a there great you part. Go. You guys are excellent. Love you. But you know what else we love to do? Talk about serial killers. Yay. So, you know, in the podcast, I do not like to glorify bad guys at all. So, we're going to do this as fast as possible. Because bad guys are stupid. And bad, by definition. <laughs> we're here for the victims. We're representing them. But, unfortunately, I have to talk about these two losers. So, in the 1980s, the hotel's notoriety reached new heights. <laughs> <laughs> See what you did there. <laughs> as serial killer Richard Ramirez, known as the Night Stalker, lived at the Cecil for two years. Really? That bro was a scary dude. Yeah. So don't confuse this guy with the Golden State Killer, because no. that was the original Night Stalker, and this oh. guy is totally different. So he's the Night Stalker, the Golden Skate. Golden Skate. Entirely Just different. It's Seriously. Michelle Kwan skating around. She was my favorite ice skater, guys. What? She's great. Is? 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 So the Golden State Killer, the one recently caught thanks to Michelle McNamara and everybody else involved. Yes. But um, that's the original Night Stalker. Think of him as the Golden State Killer. Gusk, if you need to. But this guy's the Night Stalker. So this guy 
He lived on the top floor of the Cecil through most of his deadly run through L.A. So, from allthat'sinteresting.com, this quote killed me. After killing someone, he would throw his bloody clothes in the Cecil's dumpster and saunter into the hotel lobby either completely naked or only in underwear. Quote, none of which would have raised an eyebrow, writes journalist Josh Dean, since the Cecil in the 1980s was totally unmitigated chaos. And yes, I just quoted a quote within a quote, so quoteception. <laughs> Somebody get Hans Zimmer. Goodness. That, that, that definitely shows that person was... That's why I was thinking it out. I'm like, hmm, where where should I live so I can do this nonsense and doing this nonsense I fit in? That's why I say reported deaths, because this is ridiculous. Entirely. So all that's interesting had more to say. At the time, Ramirez was able to stay there for a mere $14 a night. And with corpses of junkies, that's how they phrased it. I would never call them that. Reportedly found in the alleys near the hotel, and sometimes even in the hallways. Ugh. Ramirez's blood-soaked lifestyle surely raised Mary an eyebrow at the Cecil. I mean, like, what is going on in the 80s? Like, I've heard of New York in the 80s, but damn. Just kidding, that completely tracks with what I know of LA. Yeah. And also, 14 times 30 means that his rent was only $420 a month, and that's not bad. With the maid service, and also blaze it. <laughs> <laughs> We, we gotta look for the laugh somewhere, folks. Come on. <laughs> that's all I have to say on him. But, like, Ugh. that's why I said reported deaths, because yeah. you don't that have that kind of loser in your hotel. No. No. But the audacity to just strut in. Enti- like, entirely naked or, like, covered in blood. And it's like, oh, this is the Tuesday. This is usual around here. Yeah, so, like, what else is going on? Ugh. Another serial killer. This one you may not be as familiar with. But totally fascinating. His name is Jack Unterweger. Nope. He stayed at the Cecil. Cecil. Yep. <laughs> it was like... Stay on Maine. The stay on Maine. For some time in the early 90s, he was known to strangle sex workers with their own bras and possibly chose the Cecil because of the connection to Ramirez, but also because of the neighborhood. For his line of business worked out. So this dude... Ramirez obviously was caught. Huge news. He was on death row in San Quentin and died of disease. I forgot which one, but I don't care. He died. Whatever. Okay. Unterweger was released on May 23rd of 1990 after... I don't give a crap. <laughs> um, so he wrote like an autobiography about how he was reformed as a murderer and taught in schools, and stories for children were performed on Austrian radio. He hosted a television program which discussed criminal rehabilitation, and he worked as a reporter for this like public broadcaster where he reported on stories concerning the very murders which he would later be found guilty on. So law enforcement later found that Unterweger killed a sex worker named Blanka Bakova, in Czechoslovakia. Please remember that Czechoslovakia does not exist anymore. They had a peaceful dissolution, which is called the Velvet Revolution in 1993. It became Czech Republic and Slovakia, and seven more in Austria in 1990. And their names were 
Brunhilde Masser, she was 39. Heidi Hammerer, she was 31. Elfried Schrempf, she was 35. Sylvia Zagler, she was 23. Sabine Moitzel, she was 25. Karen Eroglu Sladsky, she was 25. Regina Prem, she was 32. In the first year after his release, they were all strangled with their own bras. During Unterweger's time in Los Angeles, three sex workers, Shannon Exley, Irene Rodriguez, and Peggy Booth, were beaten, assaulted, or sexually assaulted with tree branches and strangled oh with their own bras. So this motherfucker got extradited to Austria on 27th of May, 1992, charged with 11 homicides, including the one that happened in Prague, and the three in Los Angeles. And he took his own life by strangulation after getting life sentences once again. So, adios. They're gone. I hate him. Yeah. Like, that's a wild one. Yeah. That is He's a- reporting, like, on these crimes, except he did them. I'm, I'm getting a, and this is where, sadly, my serial killer knowledge on. Which was the serial killer who ended up uh, helping, like, find Buffalo Bill? Was that... Bundy or oh, Lecter. Hannibal Lecter? Hannibal uh, Lecter um, was also based off of someone. Oh, yeah, totally. The, the, but I don't remember him. Uh, and I'm sure there's at least one viewer, listener going, it's, it's so and so, it's so and so. Tweet it, tweet it. Please. Um, but that uh, they're, for the folks who watch Criminal Minds, for the folks who watch. Um, the hell of the, the Netflix show, Help Me Please. Uh, uh Mindhunter. Mindhunter. Like like oh, that yeah. uh that there's a certain personality uh that are very friendly with law enforcement, strangely enough. A lot of them are. And are also like um there, there's a bit of narcissism going on. Oh yeah, where, totally. Like, like if someone else is a more famous serial killer, I want to be have more attention. Yeah. And so it's it's this weird thing, like what they got this disconnection between like these horrible amoral acts of darkness and mm-hmm. well this is my specialty like it, it's this horrible like write what you know like yes. insanity of like this is what i do with all my free time oh i'm a specialist in this and i should talk to students about it and just like because i'm reformed except i just murdered people it, it's like the murderer's alcohol like the the murderer's version of being a dry drunk like, yeah I, I totally finished i'm done that was my last murder I'm kind of bored right now. Yeah. Oh, God. I know. He's a weird one, and I don't yeah. feel like a lot mm. of people know about him, but... It's also especially awful that, like, all of these murders are done by strangulation, and he gets off by strangling himself. That's just, like... He kills himself that way, yeah. Yeah, it's just, like, you you deserve worse, buddy. No. Yeah. Sure. No, that's too nice. But, the still, the thing that kills me, she says, again... Same hotel. Yeah. Like, we're still in the same setting. So, this is giving me, like, haunted hotel, haunted asylum vibes. So, like, remember how uh, I said Barton Fink and American Horror yes. Story? Ah! Wait, both at this hotel? They were both inspired. Jeez. Goodness. So, we're going to go back to Elisa Lamb. Yeah, yeah. Goodness. And I'm going to give you the details of her case. Because... I do not believe that she took her own life. No, God goodness. How do you end up in there entirely? You don't! You don't! No one says, you know what, I'm going to take a naked swim in... And shut it. And then shut it. Because you can't. 
from the inside. No, that's impossible. And also, there's so many questions that are left unanswered. Yeah. And being bipolar does not make you no. do that kind of thing. No. But, like, yeah. That's... Ugh. Okay, so. It is the best-known unsolved case um, is the death of Elisa Lamb. So after the video pub, like, surfaced publicly of the elevator, which we can totally watch it after this. Yeah. It is available like on YouTube, it is very unsettling. So if you are sensitive or things bother you or you get intrusive thoughts or anything like that, please don't watch it. So many people began to believe the rumors that the hotel being haunted might be true. Horror aficionados, what's up? Hey, oh. Um, began drawing parallels between the block, the block, the block Dahlia murder mm-hmm. and yeah. Lamb's murder pointing out that both women were in their 20s traveling alone from L.A. to San Diego and last seen at the Cecil Hotel and were missing for several days before their bodies were found. Huh. But here's the thing. Is the Black Dahlia, that's a rumor. Yes. And I am going to do that episode because I do believe it's solved. Ooh. Oh, I'm tuning into that one. Oh, they, um, like the great-granddaughters of the guy who I believe killed. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Elizabeth Short, I was like, we have the same name. How did I forget? Um, <laughs> they did a podcast. Ooh. It's called Root of Evil. Got it. Highly recommend, but I'm going to do a hilarious version. That one's really sad and scary, but I will do a hilarious short version. But if you guys don't mind sad and scary, please listen to theirs. No one paid me to say it, but I really love that podcast. Uh, it's like five episodes. So... Lam was the daughter of immigrants from Hong Kong who opened a restaurant in Vancouver, Canada, or like just outside of Vancouver, Canada, and she was a student at the University of British Columbia, although she had not registered for the beginning of 2013. So for her trip to California, she traveled alone on an Amtrak and used the inner city buses. How she did that's a miracle. She visited the San Diego Zoo, posted photos there on social media. On the 26th, she was in L.A. After two days, she checked into the Cecil. She went to, which is near Skid Row. It was more of like a hostile situation at that time. Uh, it was initially, she was initially assigned to a shared room on the fifth floor. However, the roommate complained about what the hotel's lawyer would say as certain odd behaviors. But of course she would say that post facto. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. And she was moved to a room of her own after two days. I mean, that could that could just be racism. You know? Yeah. Who knows? Certain odd behaviors could be anything. So according to her family, who kept her, supposedly kept her history of mental illness a secret, which, I mean, if that's what Elisa wanted to do, that's what Elisa wanted to do. That's her choice. Yeah. But Lamb had no history of suicidal ideation or attempts, although one report claimed that she had previously gone missing for a brief like, period. Maybe she ran off with a boyfriend for a little bit. Who knows? Yeah. We're all young and stupid at some point. Some of us are old and stupid. That's where 2020 is 2020. Mm-hmm. So police searched the hotel to the extent that they legally could. They searched Lance's room and had dogs go through the building, including the rooftop people. Huh. But... The canines were unsuccessful in detecting her scent. Oh. They didn't search every room, though. 
Rudy, Sergeant Rudy Lopez. Sergeant Rudy Lopez. Oh, that's not even a mouthful. <laughs> he said later. Uh, hey, <laughs> they could only do that with probable cause uh, mm. to believe a crime had been committed, and that makes sense. Like just because she's missing, right? They can't they tell can't. everyone in the uh, hotel. They have to leave and search the place for a full afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. So on February sixth, a week after she was last seen, the LAPD decided more help was needed. They did flyers. They posted the image, her image everywhere. And it brought the case to the public's attention. February 15th, after another week, the LAPD released the video of the last known sighting of her taken in one of the Cecil's elevators by a video surveillance camera on February 1st. So the video drew worldwide interest in the case due to Land's strange behavior and still to this day, extensively discussed, extensively analyzed. So in the clip, the camera is at one of the elevator's cab rear corners, and it looks down from the ceiling. So it's only, it's like a view of the interior, but part of the hallway is low. So it's very grainy, and the timestamp at the bottom is obscured. At some point, Lamb's mouth is pixelated. Mm. So at the start, Lamb enters, clad in a red Clad. I love that they use the word clad, and I definitely forgot to, like, meify this clad in a red zipper sweatshirt over a gray t-shirt with black shorts and sandals. So she comes in from the left and goes to the buttons and selects several floors and then steps back toward the corner. After, that sounds like the elevator to me. Right. After a few seconds, during which the doors fail to close, she steps up to it, leans forward, so her head is through the door, looks in both directions, and then quickly steps back in, backing up to the wall, and then into the corner near the control panel. The door remains open. She walks to it again, stands in the doorway, leaning on the side. Suddenly, she steps out in the hall, then to her side, back in, looking to the side, then back out. She steps sideways again, and then for a few seconds, she is mostly invisible behind the wall when she has her back to just outside. The door remains open. Her right arm can be seen going up her, like, going up to her head. Mm. And then she turns to re-enter the cab, putting both hands on the, sides, on the side of the door. She then goes to the control panel, presses many more buttons, some more than once, and then returns to the wall that she had come into the elevator from, putting both hands over her ears again, briefly as she walks back to the section of wall she had been standing against before. The door is still open. She turns to her right, begins rubbing her forearms together, then waves her hands out to her sides with palms flat and fingers outstretched, while bowing forward slightly and rocking gently. This can all be seen through the door, which remains open. After she backs to the wall again and walks away to the left, it finally closes. Elevator game comes to mind. Um, uh, you mentioned that it's been extensively discussed, uh, so I'll definitely leave it to better minds who know psychology, but from my limited interaction with folks who have who struggle from folks who struggle from mental illness is that this definitely sounds like it could be 
anything in the realm of psychosis of someone who is making connections that aren't there. Uh, that like I need, I need to be pressing these buttons. I need to be I need to hold myself in a certain way. I need to stand a certain way. I need to put my head in and out. Um, otherwise, X, Y, and Z will will not happen. Uh, yeah, um, but definitely, definitely creepy, odd, eerie experience. Mm -hmm. So the several theories that ex like have evolved to explain it. One is that she was trying to get the elevator car to move. Yeah, that's, that's weird that even if you would press three, that it wouldn't go. It would start to close, right? It would close and would at least go to like the closest That one. you press. Yeah. Um, in order to escape someone who was pursuing her. Oh. Right? And like yeah, 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 maybe yeah. some of her gestures were like self-soothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, I was thinking about that, like putting your back up against the wall if you're cold or something. Yeah, or you're yeah. afraid of someone coming after you, like mm -hmm. putting your back against a wall means that you can see all angles. Yes, yes. Um, others suggest that she might be under the influence of ecstasy or another party drug. Sure, okay. she may have been drugged and not known it. Like Ooh. if she was gone for a certain amount of time, I can totally imagine with like your your visual or your body being impaired, like especially in an elevator trying to press three, and like oh fuck, I press four, oh yeah. fuck, I press seven. But yeah. it doesn't explain why the doors won't close. No, that's weird. That definitely, yeah, that doesn't make sense. But none of those were detected in her body. But of course, she was gone for a long time. That could have washed right. out. That's very true. And there are some that don't stay. Yep. Yeah. When her bipolar disorder became known, the theory was that she was having a psychotic episode also emerged. I hate that one the most because yeah, there's no like history of it for her. Yeah, that you'd think there would be some history, like her with parents, her personally, her parents, her family, her friends, and it yeah. would have been like you know, if her parents thought that that was very viable, they would have said something when she had gone missing and been like, "This could have been Entirely. a thing." Yeah, like hmm. other viewers argued that the video had been tampered with before being made public. Besides the obscuring of the timestamp. They claimed parts of it had been slowed down, and nearly a minute of footage had been discreetly removed. Ooh. They could have done this simply to protect the identity of someone. Mm. Remember how we said? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who otherwise would be in the video but had little or nothing to do with the case, which is not true. Oh. You always have something to do with it if you were there. Yeah. Or to conceal evidence if Lamb's disappearance and death was the result of a criminal act. Yeah. So, the discovery of her body. Yes. During the search for Lamb, guests at the hotel had been complaining about the low water pressure. Um, some claimed that their water was colored black and had an unusual taste. I don't know how water works when you have cisterns, but uh -huh. wow. How did only some people have black water? Also, like, couldn't you smell unusual water? Like, I don't know. Uh, I, I gotta got jump in here with this. Uh, there is a, a 2005 Japanese movie called Dark Water. Oh my god! And I'm not going to spoil it, but like there are a lot of similar things, like uh, the elevator video, um, and that doesn't spoil the movie, but there are other things that happen in that movie that I would just like, and that movie's 2005 and this happened in 2013, so... No joke, people are that like... That movie does not... That movie was not inspired by this. That movie happened like like way before. So I'm really no, people freaked out. That, like why there are so many things that happened to 
poor Lisa Lamb that happened in this movie. So I know. I I like I there are there are there are stories of copycat serial killers, which is definitely a certain kind of psychosis. But I cannot imagine anyone watching a horror movie and saying, "Oh, I want to I want to end up like that." Like, well, that I, doesn't. I've heard of like I wouldn't say psychotic teenagers, but then again. You know, yeah. do, like enacting video games. Right. I, I can I can imagine so, folks thinking I want to do this. Uh, it's it's just weird. But it's just really I, eerie that there are so many similarities between that movie and that blows this my episode. mind that you. I I reference that because it's in it's in my thing that there's so many similarities. Like a lot of people mention that movie in regards to her death. Yeah. Okay. Like, but here's my here's my thing. Yeah. Who the crap is drinking tap water? Uh, not smart people. Let's just say that. This is L.A. In Los Angeles, hell no, hell no. You 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 get a you will die. Yeah. Like who's drinking it? Unusual taste. Oh. But like that that's that's something that that happens in that movie is like, oh, it's it's leaking a bit weird. This tastes a little bit funny. It's a little dark. But it is that kind of like, all of us already have so many things we're doing like. For example, when I listen to this podcast, I'm doing something. I've got chores. I've got stuff to do. And if you just go, oh, this this water tastes weird. You usually just hope it doesn't taste weird next time. You don't think there's a person in your water supply. Yeah. You don't think that. You you ho- definitely don't hope that. Yeah. Uh. So, the morning of February 19th, 2013, Lamb's body was found in one of the four 1,000-gallon uh, 3,785 liters for all of you people who are on the correct metric system. Why are we still using our stupid system? Tanks providing water to guest rooms, a kitchen, and a coffee shop. I want a refund. I didn't even. I didn't even shop there. I didn't live here at that time. I wouldn't move here for another two years. But I want a refund. Imagine the Karens. <laughs> the tank was drained and cut open since its maintenance hatch was too small to accommodate the equipment needed to remove Lamb's body. That also shows that how could you possibly how you, how could you possibly shut yourself in there if you can't get the person out of there? Her watch and her room key, room key, her room key was also found with her. The case was ruled as an accidental drowning, but there was some very strange elements that cast the event in le- a less understandable light. For one thing, to get to the roof, Lamb would have had needed a staff key, which was not found on her body. Yep. Her cell phone was also mysteriously missing, both from her body and her room. There was no evidence of physical trauma, sexual assault, or suicide. Toxicology test, incomplete because not enough of her blood was preserved, showed traces consistent with prescription medication found among her belongings. Plus, non-prescription, such as ibuprofen and something called Sinutam. I don't know. I've never heard of that one. Neither have I. But a very small quantity of alcohol, like a .02, was present, but no other recre- like recreational drugs. I wonder if, like, mm. Sinutab is some, like, Canadian thing. Um, so let's talk about the unresolved issues, because this is where it gets interesting. Yeah. The investigation had determined how Lamb died, but did not f- offer an explanation as to how she got into the tank in the first place. Right? Could you imagine trying to lift that, like, lid? That's a Let alone jump. get up there, yeah. She's a tiny person. Yeah. 
Doors and stairs that access the hotel's roof are locked, with only staff having the passcodes and keys, and any attempt to force them would supposedly have triggered an alarm. However, the hotel's fire escape could have allowed her to bypass those security measures if she or someone else who might have accompanied her there had known. A video made by a Chinese user after Lam's death and posted to the internet showed that the hotel's roof was easily accessible via mm. the fire escape and that the two lids of the water tanks were open. Oh. But like you would have to know they were up there. Right. Yeah. You could be led up there and mm. tossed into it. Yeah. So apart from the question of how she got on the roof, others asked if she could have gotten into the tank by herself. So all four tanks are four by eight feet, and their cylinders propped up on concrete blocks. Yep. There's no fixed access to them, and hotel workers had to use ladders to, like, look in. They're protected by heavy lids that are difficult to replace from within. Police dogs that searched the hotel for land, even on the roof, shortly after her disappearance noted they didn't find any trace of her, although... They had not searched the area near the water tanks, but, you know, uh, it, she would have, like, her scent would have been on the roof, though. Yes. Yeah. Even though she had to have a trail to get to the water tank. Yeah. But anyway, the theories about her behavior in the elevator didn't stop with the death. Some argued that she was attempting to hide from her pursuer, perhaps someone ultimately responsible for her death, which, you know, right. I, gotta, I gotta be honest with you, that's the one I'm believing. Likewise. Others say she was merely frustrated with the elevator's apparent malfunction, which, you know, I could also agree with because this sounds like a shitty hotel. Yeah, definitely. Two things could be true there. Yeah. Some proponents of the theory that she was under the influence of illicit drugs are not dissuaded by their absence in the toxicology screen, suggesting that they may have broken down during the period of time her body decomposed in the tank. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> I mean, just saying. She could have been drowned. There's that, and there's also, like, everything else that you could possibly search for in forensics on a dead body. If if you've been floating in in a cistern for water, like, so much of that evidence is just gone. People have been drinking it for however long. They said, literally, we don't have enough of her blood left. Yeah. Ew. Ew. She might have taken a rare cocktail of such drugs that a normal screen Mm. could not detect. Because, you know, like, they don't scan for, like, uh, what what's a common, I say a common, it's just because I watch a lot of forensic files, <laughs> um, but there's a drug that, like, your body doesn't move, but you're awake and you can feel everything. Oh, God. Uh, what's the name of it? I'm so upset with Wait, is, is this a tranquilizer drug? Like yeah, it's like the horse drug? tranquilizer. Oh, crap. You know what? We'll think of it at the end. Yeah. We're, we're the, you ask one of the least druggy people. <laughs> You know, I, like, I literally heard it on fucking Criminal Minds, like, yesterday. And I was like, I'll remember that. She won't. Um, anyway, so since her death, though, this, is, this part is crazy. Her Tumblr blog was updated, presumably through Tumblr's queue. Because, you know, like, it would publish posts automatically um, oh, yeah, when the, yeah, yeah. T- the user was away. And her phone was not found. So it's assumed to have been stolen sometime around her death. So whether the continued updates to her blog were facilitated by the theft of her phone, the work of a hacker, or through the queue is not known, nor is it known whether the updates are relevant to her death. 
So that's Lisa Lamb's death. So now we decide haunted or naunted? <laughs> naunted? <laughs> I already know I'm fired as this host. Yeah. Uh, you guys chose to be here. <laughs> unlike my unlike my poor brother, you guys chose to listen to my jokes. <laughs> you know what the worst joke I ever had was? And like oh, no. I told it for like ten years, but like I would put it away for a couple of months, bring out new variables, and tell it again, and then it would just be like <sighs> Okay, you ready? Uh, no, but go for it. What did the farmer say when he lost his tractor? I don't know. What did the farmer say when he lost his tractor? Where's my tractor? You laughed! (laughs) Imagine Um, like a 12-year-old me being like, "Ah!" Honestly, (laughs) I hate to say this, like that my inner, my spirit's molars are grinding, but that is a top-class anti-joke. That is a fantastic anti-joke. Well done. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, my family didn't find it funny at all. Uh, probably after the umpteenth time, it's no longer funny. Oh, no, not the first time either. They were like, <laughs> that's so dumb. My dad, I believe, said, I'm underwhelmed. <laughs> but at the same time, I'd be like, Dad, I have an A plus on this work assignment. And he'd be like, that's great. I'm underwhelmed. Or sometimes he would be just whelmed. Whelmed is the new overwhelmed? No, he was just neutral. Mm. Yeah, that's that's my dad, though. There you go. But a legitimate nickname, speaking of jokes, this is not one. This hotel has also been called The Suicide. I was going to say, yeah. like It occurred to me as we were getting into the serial killer thing and wondering about ghosts and haunted or naunted. It's like, <laughs> at, at a certain point, you'd think, maybe lock those windows. Maybe... Glue like, them in. Yeah, yeah. Because I know that like at least now there's a lot of... Uh, Built like it's it's in the building code. Like you probably can't open those windows all the way up so that people don't try to jump. Or hot take, put in some gates. Mm-hmm. Like you know how trying to adopt a dog is like so hard in LA because they're yes. like you have to have gates just in case your dog jumps out of a window. And I'm like, I've had dogs almost my whole life, and not once have they ever tried to jump out of the window. I'm not. What depends on the dog. I, I, I watched a stupid TikTok. I recommend you all try and find while listening to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> someone has a dog in their car while they're ordering fast food, and oh, the dog jumps out of their car into the restaurant through the drive-through window. That's brilliant. Yes. And there was food involved. I'm there talking are, true, about. But you're talking out a window into like oncoming traffic out of the balcony, which makes I'm talking no sense. about. Yeah, like my living room window. There's no food. Yeah. It's just like a dog truck, which my dog, my dog is beautiful and wonderful, and she's deaf, so she has no idea what's going on. But the only thing she barks at is a dump truck across the street, and I'm like, they're just taking your poop away. <laughs> and then she's like, oh yeah, and goes back to sleep. It's glorious. So naunted or haunted. The suicide. The suicide. Since there have been guests who gave themselves self-inflicted wounds to bleed out, shot themselves in the head. Poison themselves or jumped out of their rooms to the street below. I feel like out of these methods, poisoning and jumping seem to be the most popular among the guests who have died this season. That we know of. That we know of. That we know of. We haven't even talked about ODs, which Mm -hmm. the 80s have happened in the Cecil, and they didn't record any of it. None of that. I want to know. It's like, oh, uh, another person is walking around naked and bloody. Eh, it's the Cecil. Whatever. There's a dead body there. 
I'll just let it out. Like, what? So it's common to feel cold spots and see shadowy figures in the Haunted. hotel. Sorry. <laughs> there we go. There we go. And honestly, it would be odd not to. For a hotel nearing its 100th birthday in its proximity to at least Skid Row, and with dozens of deaths that have not been, that have not been, that have happened within or near its walls that have gone unreported, and we know transient people have not exactly been prime news real estate, and police don't care about homeless people, but I certainly do. I, I want I want to put put out a, a Los Angeles uh, ghost haunting theory. Uh, in in various other parts of the country, especially as you go further east into like you know uh, colonial America that's been around 1600s, there are buildings that have been around for hundreds of years. Hundreds. But Los Angeles, I don't know what it is, or maybe I'm blanking from my Los Angeles history from elementary school. Uh, there's not a lot of historic buildings outside of missions. That have been around since the 1600s. Most everything, especially in Los Angeles, I, th I think there was a period of time in the early 1900s where they went, "Oh, it's getting too congested here. We're going to quite literally raise all of Los Angeles and move some of the fancier buildings around." So there really aren't that many buildings that are that old beyond the early 1900s. So having a building that is about 100 years old now counts as one of the older houses or older buildings in Los Angeles proper. So if you are a ghost and you are looking to haunt the oldest building, the Cecil is a good place to go. They, they, yeah, there's a lot of hundred old buildings in downtown especially. Yes. Yeah. And you're right. I feel like they just came through the West and was like, manifest destiny, which is stupid. Stupid. And they just like bulldozed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the whole the whole thing. Like they were like, "Oh, people live here. Guess what? Not anymore." And bulldozed the whole thing and started yeah. over and made the stupidest highways possible. Roger Rabbit is a documentary. Yeah, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a uh, documentary, except the end is a lie. They built yeah. that highway. They built it, and it sucks. It's always been ghosted. Okay, so anyway, the Cecil. Yeah, it would be prime real estate for those who are stuck on Earth in the afterlife and need a place to go. I mean, imagine. Just like a hotel for ghosts? Yeah. Like, that would be bomb. Okay, so I tried to watch Ghost Whisperer binging, and I couldn't mm -hmm. do it. Like, I made it through season two, episode 20, but when Aisha Tyler left the show, which... Mm, she's great. She's so wonderful. She's fantastic. Love the premise of the show, but, like, it's not a binge-worthy show. I don't think I told you. I've actually met her. She's a wonderful human being. Aisha Tyler? Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, she was she uh, in season one, like at the end of season one, and she has a great send off. It's beautiful, and then like she get like she's not replaced, but she's replaced, mm -hmm. and like it's not the same without her. But yeah. also the show, like if you have a wait a week for each episode, it's bomb. But like when yeah, you try yeah, to yeah. binge it, it's so repetitive. Yeah, no, and that's that's a uh, TV's weird like that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Like, I mean, but it's like 2004. I'm not trying to like bash Ghost Whisperer. I'm gonna right. pick it up in a while. Yeah. But they had this episode where it's a comedy club at night, and mm. all the ghosts of comedians were there doing shows Ooh. with each other, and like, I feel like the Cecil would be bomb like that. Like, yeah, all these residents. But of course, American Horror Story did that. <sighs> of course. How dare? I mean, that's exactly what we pay them for true good point <laughs> i'm sorry american store hoary yes <laughs> <laughs> so 
I have a beautiful closing here. Look at that. Ooh. The Hotel Cecil. Or the Stay on Main, as it's called now, but I doubt anyone calls it that. I honestly had no idea it changed its name, and that happened before I moved here. Well, and like the, the big sign is up, and it still says Hotel Cecil. Really? Like oh, everything is that's still the, there. the historic landmark. Yeah. It. Why would you change the name, though? It you was trying to, like, separate people. itself from, like, the CD history. But, like, it's on the bus tour. So, like, we have a lot of true crime bus tours. It's amazing. Take them. Like, don't do the TMZ one. Do the Never. true crime bus tours. They're yes. so fun. Some of them are highly inaccurate, and I have a great time. <laughs> um, so, two well-known serial killers. The Black Dahlia, rumored to have been there just before she died. A ridiculous loss of life within its walls. And all of yep. this is breeding grounds for some of the best phantasmagoria. Yep. It has already inspired two excellent works of fiction. Barton Fink, which, like, swept awards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the was, year was that, That's definitely... Just watch the... Uh, uh, for Barton Fink, just watch... Like, uh, go on YouTube... Find the scene with John Goodman, and don't tell me if that hotel does not like just pervade this creepiness. It's just ugh. honestly watch the trailer and yeah. tell me that's not the original. What's in the box? Because it really is. Yeah. And then American Story Horror. <laughs> <laughs> it is the most haunted hotel in America. Is it? Well, is it the best cup of coffee in Jersey? That's my answer. I don't know if I understand that answer. You know, like when you stop anywhere and like ever. Oh, the, the best couple, yeah. yeah. The, the most haunted hotel in Los Angeles. Like, sure, buddy. Yeah, sure. I'll take it. Could be. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep going to the others. So I think what's important is to understand how it came to be this way. So it, mm, yeah, I think initially it didn't have anything spectacular. Yeah, it seemed like a super classy hotel and for rich people. I and, and uh, talking about um. Uh, speaking of suicide, just in, since this is a topic that we seem to be coming in and around a lot with this episode, uh, for those of you who are either maybe struggling with it or may have people in your life who may be struggling around it, the important three things to look for, and I hope I remember all of these before I finish my sentence, is uh, uh, there's ideation. But the, the important thing is, you, is uh, to be concerned for yourself or others if you have all three of these. And like ideation, having a plan, and having the means. And so, like, so many, it is normal to have, like, one of those. Like, everyone from time to time just goes, oh, life sucks. Should I take my own life? And that is a normal, it sucks that it's nor normal for human beings, because we're just, like, you know, evolved from uh, monkeys that have anxiety now, because that sucks. But to have a plan and a means shows that, like, that's when you need to worry that someone is actually going about doing it. But, um... So I can imagine being of a mindset in the 1930s and the Cecil had marble floors and looked like a really beautiful place to have that horrible mindset of this is a good place to end it all. No one wants to be that, but I can imagine mm -hmm. being in that person's mind and thinking, I would love to live here it's my life for my last week. Yeah. And it just spiraled from there. Absolutely. Especially as we discussed earlier, it was the Great Depression. And we are going through something, I wouldn't say like totally similar, but very similar to what they went through. And it was unprecedented times then, and it's unprecedented times now. Of course, if you were feeling any of the things Nate said, 
please, please, please get help. And we will definitely be posting the hotlines for anyone who needs like a quick link or anything like that. But like I said, I don't think that it was originally haunted. Location, timing, economic downturn, it's a domino effect. Yeah. And these people were so down on their luck and it became I wouldn't I wouldn't say inevitable, but especially at the beginning, I think, as Nate said, one of those things where it's like this is a beautiful place. Go out on a high note. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in control of this one part. Right. Yeah. And we, thankfully, in 2020, have the opportunity to be arm in arm with each other and lift each other up. Yes. And not leave people to feel alone in the world anymore. You're worth it. Yes. Don't let L'Oreal think that. We think that. Yeah. But... Also, in 2020, it makes sense that all of that built-up energy and fear in that hotel would give it such an eerie vibe. Yeah. Like, the 1980s alone, what's going on there? Like, that eerie vibe is still there. And so, for what it's worth, this was initially a million-dollar hotel in 1927, over $15 today. And it was taken over by people who were down on their luck and legitimately poor. And so... Something about that part, though, is particularly, like, exciting to me because poor people got to go in and take over a luxury hotel and just be like, mine. Yes. So that part is thrilling, exciting, and eat the rich. But... Please, guillotine. Yes. So that's my analysis. Like, even to the greatest skeptics, I would say things there, like, outside of Elisa's Lamb, Elisa Lamb's death makes sense. And even though you could say ghost play... A part of Elisa Lamb's death, I would yeah. say there was definitely something else involved. From from everything that I like, even earlier episodes in this podcast about paranormal, there there is a um, an escalation. Like there, mm-hmm. you have a number of spooky instances happen. You don't go from cold spot to a ghost terrorizing you and lifting you and dropping you to a sister and locking the door. That, that yeah. seems you you get scratches. You have a number of people talk about strange things. That's right. Like, yeah. Because if anything, in the world of reality or the paranormal, like, she was definitely, I say, murdered. And saying that bipolar disorder was the reason is a, like, dislocate your shoulder reach. Because your tater tots are just, like, all over the car at this point. You did not hold on to them one bit. (laughs) And (laughs) you're just continuing the stigma of demonizing people with bipolar disorder. And not okay. Not okay. Nope. Would I stay at the Cecil? Absolutely. I would. It's, it's got me curious. Yeah, I, I have I to say it. Like I feel like the, in terms of the haunted or naunted question, for me, the evidence that has been presented in front of me is, it feels weirdly circumstantial at this point. Like a lot yeah. of really strange things have happened, but none of these people like have a lot of things that there aren't a lot of other stories of beyond what is it odd behavior having yeah. recently removed, which, which can be deter- interpreted in so many different ways, mm-hmm. but that we don't have, like with the, the Sally House, yeah. enough evidence of strange paranormal activities taking place. And it's, maybe it's because the Cecil Hotel's website doesn't exist anymore because maybe. it switched to stay on Maine. Mm. But, I mean, there are episodes of television shows, but I don't want to, like, 
just tell you what happened on TV. Right. <laughs> so the the closest I could come up with is something in like how uh, the Overlook Hotel is portrayed in the Shining movie. I find that to be the haunted most haunted hotel in America. Hmm. Yeah. Really. Okay. Um. And and, and th- so I don't know n- enough it's the about Stanley, right. Yes, the Stanley. So yeah. I don't know enough about the Stanley Hotel, but that the way it's portrayed in The Shining is very much, there aren't necessarily a lot of paranormal activities in that movie. It's more that the presence of the hotel just kind of like whispers, helps whisper the darkest thoughts in your minds a little louder. Just like, maybe you should chase your family with an axe. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. And so that's the closest thing I can imagine, but it, it really does, like, especially with the beginning of this hotel happening right at the beginning of the Depression. Like the worst time. It, it, it sounds like just a lot of circumstances of, like, this is this is a nice place to spend your final night. Exactly. And I think, also, I should do an episode on the Stanley. Yes. Because yes. I've always wanted to go. My dad said that they, my parents used to live in this... Uh, apartment that looked mm. like the Stanley mm. and he thought it was funny my mom apparently was like freaked mm-hmm. out and mm-hmm. I was like why am I my dad when it's safe but if I'm in the actual situation I am such a scaredy chicken like yep. the scariest so the Cecil's closed right now when it reopens I will do a podcast episode in the Cecil I would totally do it with someone staying with me, or someone's, and I would go from passionate scholar to the scariest chicken this side of the Mississippi. Remember, I grew up in the South, and like when those spidey senses tingle, I will just nope right out of a place. Like I went to this open house with a friend, and we looked at like the house, and we looked at the real estate agent, and she had a plate of muffins and like a salmon jacket, and she was just like smiling and waving. But, like, guys, we, bad people can wear salmon jackets, and (laughs) they can be women. And we got the tingle, and we just, like, kept on rolling. (laughs) Like, we just drove right by. And I don't know if it was the house, if it was the muffin, if it was the woman, if it was the salmon jacket. But you realize you can get a muffin at a gas station. Don't tempt me, Yvonne, okay? I don't need anything bad enough to die for it. Check out the Sally House episode to see how I feel about that. Yeah, so that's a CISA hotel. If I ever have, like, a Let's Talk About the Facts event, we're all staying there, and whoever owns it, please give me a discount, please, and thanks. Uh, We'll call it the Spooky Beyond All Reason Retreat with muffins, and you have to wear something (laughs) salmon-colored. And that's how we'll find each other. And you have to bring your own theme music. Mine's going to be the music from Independence Day, so no one choose that. So... I planned a whole retreat. That is the Cecil Hotel. What'd you think? Woo! Smoky. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm tempted is the correct word, as in like tempted by Satan to consider going there and be like, will I lose control of my thoughts and suddenly think terrible, horrible, monstrous things? We'll bring a therapist. But also And will a therapist last there? Ooh, that's a good question. Bring a a young therapist and an old therapist. Ooh, do I know an old therapist? No, a young one. But also, I love the fact that you were, like, tempted by Satan, and I was like, I've been called Satan many times. <laughs> womp womp. Womp womp Well, you know, this has been another delightful episode of Let's Talk About the Facts, and Woo! this was Nate Ruger. Hooray! And this was fun. I'm Elizabeth Fury sometimes, 
and other times I'm American Story Horror. So, you know, you can find us on Twitter, you can find us on Instagram. Please, you know, message us because sometimes I'm lonely. And next week we have a user submitted story. Super excited. That's all I'm going to tell you for now because I don't know who's going to be there with me. message me you may be it and yeah so we'll say goodbye goodbye adios this podcast was surprisingly produced by me original music by miranda miller you can find us both on twitter and instagram at talk about facts that's t-a-l-k-a-b-t F-A-C-T-S or email recommendations to ltatfpodcast at gmail.com Stay safe out there, friends.